I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to Playing Footsie, the podcast where we talk about stocks, investing, and personal finance. Before we start, we want to make it clear that the information presented on this show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. None of us is a financial advisor, and this is not financial advice. Investing in the stock market comes with risks, and we strongly encourage our listeners to do their own research and consult with a licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Now, let's dive into the world of finance and talk about what we're doing with our money. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. It's been an interesting week in the stock market this week. Coca-Cola had its worst day in 17 months. Weatherspoons announced some decent earnings and Kellogg successfully spun out its cereals arm. But I'm here with Steve D and Paul and we're not going to talk about any of those things. We're going to talk about things that are much more interesting to us. Uh, let's start with how your week's been. Steve, how's your week been the last seven days or so? Pretty busy, Steve. Uh, we've been uh, all over the place over the last uh, of the last week or so. We've had in the family broken hands, uh, cancer diagnosis, disease. Uh, we've had uh, rushed to hospital with the uh, with the wife, and she ended up Keep having lie, mate. on 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 a day <laughs> when the uh, on the day when the doctors were on strike. So that was fun and games. So uh, we we had to leave the hospital after six and a half hours of not being seen um and they made us sign a, a form that said that we were refusing medical treatment when i think the opposite was true i think they were refusing to provide it um but there you go that's how my week's been steve I had a decent week in stock so if uh if you want to keep it nice and light uh, i don't I've... want to keep it nice and light there's this is why we don't have time to talk about spoons or coke or anything like that um basically <laughs> steve i guess <laughs> 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 I didn't see that one coming, actually. Um, uh, I guess then, Steve, the obvious question is, what the effing hell to any of that? Yeah, it's just been a fucking busy week. Mate. I mean, it's been ridiculous. Like, yeah, just one of but those ones. Right. Everybody's fine. Uh, um, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's been caught nice and early for the family member. My brother has broke his thumb, but he's a he's an idiot. And um, uh, and uh, the, my, they were just being overly precautionary with my wife. They thought she had something called cholestasis, which is something to do with bile backing mm-hmm. up or something like that. And, uh, they, they, you know, they, they only sent her for this blood test because she was complaining that her feet itched. Uh, so it was a, a mm-hmm. complete waste of a complete waste of a day. Um, but, oh, wait. Uh, she's, wait, wait. Is she, she's still pregnant? Yeah, she's, she's, still, yeah, pregnant. she's still pregnant, yeah. Yeah, it'll lead to, that'll lead to like uh, okay. Let's not get into your medical diner. <laughs> yes, tickly feet when your the baby compresses on the liver will give you itchy feet and hands. Um, mm. Bit of but bit of fun medical. But nobody there. wants to be the person who doesn't diagnose cholestasis when it is cholestasis. So you mm-hmm. end up with a bunch of women sat there having blood tests that don't necessarily need them. But you know, it's, of course, you'd sooner be looked after than not looked after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'd be looked after than not. But anyway, how's everyone else's week been? Uh, Paul, do I, I've assumed then that none of Steve's family listen to this show. Um, Paul, how's, how have you been getting on either this week <laughs> or lately? I mean, uh, there's a lot to, there's probably a lot to cover with me. I'm sorry, guys, for not being around. Um, uh, let me guess. Paul, how's uh, your last three me... years been? <laughs> <laughs> this is it, right? This is it. I've I've been very, very busy <laughs> in certain ways and basically not been not been in the country and i've not seen my family for a long time either um just been um around and about being part of quite a few cool things that have gone on uh, that I, I can't really talk about uh, i got married um which was a big thing um 
And uh, I must admit, what I've, what I've, what I found is because, uh, well, let's go to the financial situation. My financial situation, because I'm now more of a contractor and I don't have a solid job, I have a lot more focus on my emergency fund at the moment. So I have been kind of stuck uh, with my stock market uh, value. Uh, it's been pretty flat at the minute because I, I haven't been contributing to the portfolio as much. It's much more focused on uh, keeping that uh stability in my life at the moment um once that's covered i'll be back in the market and and uh adding more to my portfolio but at the moment i've been yeah i've been spending a lot more than i've been earning uh, mainly to create some more stability uh, and that's about as far as i've got really week this week's been pretty good a uh, bit of illness going around bit of uh, uh, uh heats like easing off now which is nice over here uh and everything is going fine but the stock market um you steve you said you had a really good week in the stock market that must be the opposite to what everyone else in the world is feeling right now um i don't know to be honest with you i've had a bit of corking day today as well i've had i'm up 1.8 percent on the main portfolio so uh i've made a don't even know what uh, i'm up. quite a quite a lot of dollarage um today um quite a lot of my stocks are up in the sort of two and four percent range so um wow. doing doing pretty pretty well indeed <laughs> i had a good monday tuesday uh a bad wednesday a middling thursday and a very good uh friday so it's friday that we're recording today so um yeah i've got i've got i've got about 1500 quid in cash as well um i've got another 300 and something coming from that stupid weevil promo that we've been rinsing um i've got 200 pound coming from nationwide on that bank switch that i've been rinsing so uh, oh, yeah, have, you, have you switched to nationwide i'm so yes. close to doing that I'm yeah, so I've close done, to doing that. I've done that. I'll take the two hundred quid and the eight percent savings account all day. Yeah, I'll have it. Yeah, I'm. I've been looking at that myself. At the moment, I'm sitting with the Chase four percent account, but that eight percent, um, what's it account? It looks really, really good. Uh, actually, looking at mine, I'm I'm up today, but I'm down bad over the over the week. Probably lost uh, a grand in the last week uh, on various stuff. Uh, big semiconductors of obviously taken a bit of a hit over the past couple. see i don't even look at this much anymore i don't i don't have much time to look at i haven't had internet to to look at this for quite a long time so i'm i'm getting back into it now uh, we've just had internet added to this place um i'm i'm getting back into it a little bit i'm getting starting to see more stocks and getting to read articles listen to podcasts that sort of thing um but yeah over the past few weeks probably months uh, i've been well out of this um uh, it makes me a little nervous to be back on this podcast, I must admit. Hey, what do you know? I've actually gone up a bit today as well. I assumed I'd just gone down and down and down this week, and it is mostly a down week for me. I've not had an amazing week at all, but but just prompted by by you two, I've had a look, and yeah, there's more green stuff here than there was this time yesterday, which is nice, I suppose. I had this thing written about how times like this, it gets tempting to throw the emergency fund in if you're me and you're looking at things quite a way lower than where you first bought them and that's nearly always a bad idea so I won't be doing that and how it sort of feels not too bad seeing a load of stuff down when you know you do have money available to invest not the emergency fund on top of that I mean uh, but that kind of doesn't feel quite the same now I mean it's just still well down this week it's been a, uh, a negative week for me I thought that was true of nearly everyone in the stock market but Steve's wild contrarian approach here appears to be uh, faring quite well for this week. Congratulations, Paul. 
um, happy, happy marriedness. <laughs> well, imagine yeah. everyone's seen Paul white as a sheet getting a tattoo on his finger. Keeps keeps saying <laughs> I'm all right, despite the fact that there's like half a pint of water falling off his face. <laughs> yeah, it was quite hard. But yeah, what he's talking about, we should probably fill people in. Um, I've I've got a little Instagram video on my other account that's gone quite viral, half a million views now, and uh, like twenty thousand likes, which is quite incredible. But yeah, it's it's quite funny. It's of me getting a tattoo. And by the way, this ring on my finger, if I point at the camera, is. Uh, a tattoo and uh, i've tattooed it on my thing <laughs> and yeah it hurt it hurt a lot my missus was fine she she only had a little one but yeah mine killed much harder to lose those than actual wedding rings right and much less expensive if you do go losing them at least i imagine don't know much mm. about how much tattoos cost but oh that's nice i like that as a kind of <laughs> slightly different move mm. um i've spent this week or at least the back end of this week not being very well and i've been trying to blame that on the germ con- uh germ carrying time consuming cost center that is my son uh with some justification <laughs> he's the person who usually gets the blame for uh, any kind of illness going around our household because he's at nursery now so he brings home all of those things in fairness to him i do also work in a university and it's been freshers week this week so those are also uh, that's another place where we tend to find colds and viruses and flu and, and stuff like that kicking around so it's not obviously his doing this time out but um yeah slightly poorly end of the week uh for me so i'm glad to be doing this on a friday evening rather than a saturday morning when i just got up and feel like um i am running on pretty much empty anyway let's get to it shall we let's talk about consumption because i forgot last week so i didn't write down a running order steve what have you been consuming in the last mm, two weeks or so um so last week you it's quite lucky we didn't do it because steve and i had the same thing and had forgotten to converse about it so that would have been rather embarrassing probably uh and would have left one of us a bit short on uh on content but uh this time i uh we have conversed about it beforehand and we do have different ones and, and that doesn't surprise me but i'm gonna put forward the rational reminder podcast again um uh, and specifically episode 273 uh professor samuel hartsmark uh, and the uh, episode is called Asset Pricing, Behavioural Finance and Sustainability Rankings. It has a particularly interesting section in there, which I know Paul will enjoy, called Dividends Are Irrelevant. And it's uh, it's a very interesting uh, take on all of those things. It's more than that. Um, it, it's just uh, um, a, a professor who knows his stuff, uh, giving an angle on everything that Ben Felix and the uh, it's Cameron, I think, is it Cameron Passmore? Um, just asking him questions and, and sort of riffing on everything together. So it's it's a really interesting episode. It does take a little bit of time to to uh, get through it. And uh, another one that I will just quickly just chuck in, just because I, I know this one isn't on Steve's. Um, John Rotonti has a, a, a podcast out now. And his first episode, Steve's sort of um in an iron like I've just stolen it off him. Have I stolen it off you, Steve? No, good. No. Um, and his uh, no, he's just tired. <laughs> his first uh, episode is with um, Bill Nigren from Harris Associates, and it's basically uh, a bit of a sort of chat about how Harris Associates pick stocks, and it's it is quite interesting if you wondered how uh, a successful value investing hedge fund works and and uh, what they do to pick stocks and what their processes are um it's um it's a high level view uh look at at the processor uh might be interesting for some folks and uh and maybe not but that's what i've consumed this week both of those are very enjoyable um steve i'll pass to you and then maybe to paul 
Here's why I pulled a face at your John Rotonti um, contribution. It's not because I've uh, it was on my list, or indeed that I've actually listened to it. John Rotonti, of course, formerly of uh, Motley Fool fame, at least we've talked about some of his stuff before. I have wildly, wildly mixed feelings about John Rotonti, like really quite strong in both directions. His style of delivery and the stuff he'd done with Motley Fool, I found really didn't work for me in any way at all. I found it, um, I yeah, I found it really quite, I, I didn't think his explanations were terribly good. I didn't find his style particularly engaging. But, 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 God, that man knows how to pick a stock that I like. I yeah, feel he's... like he's, uh, he, he and I think quite similarly about stuff and, there's the what he says, and when he comes out with some sort of stock pick, I tend to look into it a bit more carefully and think, I quite like the look of that. That works for me. That's that's the sort of thing I'm I'm looking for here. Which means, if I can get past the the delivery on it, there's there's real value in there for someone yes. like me. He's dry Trusty. as all. He's dry as all hell. Yeah, he definitely is dry as all hell. But he is very smart. <laughs> um, I think that's undeniable. And and in a way. His style is very anti Motley Fool, and I know it's Motley because it's meant to be a, a, a number of different ways of investing. But good, yes. he was, yeah, he was always um, very on the opposite side of the argument to nearly everybody on on um, on on any kind of Motley Fool show that he was on. So he was a really interesting uh, guest, and I'm sure he'll he'll uh, have a good stab at this uh, podcast. It does seem like he's going to spend an awful lot of time with Harris Associates, though, which is kind of boring. I want to see him talk to other people. He's already uh, says on the show that he's got two other people from Harris Associates coming. Well, he's only on episode one. I hope it isn't going to be like the John Rotonti Harris Associates um, show. But he missed the name, <laughs> Steve. The name he's gone with the J Rose show, but it, he had to get Grow in there, didn't he, to make it like Grow with the J Rose show? I thought J Rose Grow was his Twitter thing, right? Oh, is so it? He's, I think so. Yeah. Uh, oh. I'm pretty sure he's at J Rogro on Twitter, or his Motley Fool username was J Rogro or something, which means yeah. this is deliberate uh, somehow. I think this the is... more you know and grow with the J Rogro show. Come on, we can, there's so many you could get in there. Uh, there is. Let's move on. <laughs> um, I've been listening to the uh, the Howard Marks, uh, the latest one of um, the Memo by Ooh, Howard Marks podcast series. The oh. Uh, cool. Uh, well, I also took Steve's in the same move, but he managed to think of a different one in that time. Um, this it's, first things first. It's good to see Howard Marks writing memos and uh, delivering this show again. He had been undergoing treatment for throat cancer, I think, and spent a little while kind of out of the spotlight. So, regardless of um, yeah, you can hear it. On yeah, his, you can. Uh, his voice. Yeah, I saw an interview an with even deeper voice. <laughs> hmm. I... Weaker. It's Sorry. weaker. Definitely it is weaker. weaker. Mm, I saw is, him yeah. on... Um, I, yeah, it's much more croaky. He was also on David Rubenstein uh, doing an interview. I saw that as well, which was... He's very serious, by the way. Um, so I've seen quite a few Rubenstein interviews, actually. I probably should have listed those as thing I consumed. But nearly everyone drops at least some sort of joke in there along the way. Howard Marks is very much... No, serious questions, serious answers, serious information. Uh, but anyway, his um, his latest memo is called "Fewer Winners or a uh, Fewer Not Fewer Winners, Fewer Losers or More Winners." Uh, and roughly, he's talking about two different styles of investing. And there's um, there's quite a bit in there. I won't try and sketch it all out to you, but roughly speaking, he's going with this idea of there are two ways to get ahead. You can either stay out of trouble and avoid unforced errors. Compares this a lot to tennis in various ways. Or you can try and pick good stocks or bonds or whatever. Um, and try and hit winners if you're kind of tennis style. And he uses this example, quite nice one, of talking to the guy who ran the General Mills pension fund for about 14 years. And he points out that in those 14 years, the General Mills pension fund, in terms of its returns, 
never got into the top 27% and was never outside the top 47% in its returns. And where does that leave you after 14 years? Answer, top 4%. Because everyone who finds themselves in that top 5-10% struggles to stay there year on year on year. They have a style that means you may well end up near the top or you may well end up near the bottom in other years. Um, see, for comparison, my attempt at trying to win uh, JKR's game uh, for the time being, I picked um, St. Thoma as my stock. I'm pretty sure I'm coming last at the moment in that, but I was taking a view at the time and I said at the time, I think, look, it's the only, you only get a prize if you win. Um, if I come last, nothing bad happens. Uh, I'm going to go for something that will give me a shot to win. And if we end up finishing rock bottom, we end up finishing rock bottom. Uh, not interested in fourth. Investing is very different to that, right? I mean, finishing top uh, 4% by finishing anywhere between 27 and 47 every given year is a perfectly good way to go. And it makes a lot more sense if you invest in the kind of things that Howard Marks invests in, which is very typically, and what he's famous for, distressed debt. Uh, because, as he points out on that memo, there is no real upside to distressed debt. The best that happens is you get paid at the end of the debt. Uh, normally anyway. I mean, the price could go through the roof, but best that happens is you collect the thing that you're owed and it matures and gets paid. Worst that happens is it doesn't and you get nothing. Um, but his idea is if you have a big enough portfolio of high yield debts and it's well enough diversified then you'll uh, and you avoid the losers, you will generally do pretty well. I didn't understand why you need to diversify if you're any good at avoiding losers because there is no upside, as he points out here. But uh, maybe that's a better way of giving you a, a stronger chance of avoiding losers. Fascinating stuff. The memo is always very interesting. A lot of the time, the message is the same because he's very much a cyclicals kind of guy who wants to say, here's where we are in the cycle. That's another important thing that he has going on, by the way. He doesn't claim to be a future predictor. He said on Rubenstein, I think, you might not know what the future looks like, but you pretty damn well ought to know what the present looks like. And that's kind of fair. So his idea is, well, look, here's where we are now. Based on now, what's cheap now, I'm going to buy this thing now, effectively. And then uh, future will look after itself to some extent uh but yeah it's always interesting uh i enjoyed the fact there seemed to be a slightly different message to this one the tennis analogy is a really interesting one because you can get mm. through the memo and learn how to play tennis better which was a really strange thing to you know you're not going into the uh that podcast thinking you're gonna you're gonna potentially learn how to play tennis but you go there with that big head and try to try to win shots and he points out quite rightly that if you play tennis against any other amateur your job should be just to keep the ball in play and 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 let the other people uh, do the stupid stuff and and you know until you come against a better player if you all you do is keep the ball in play you win it's a it's a, it's a stunning uh, analogy really when you think about it and um it, re it really does help just drill home that point i think um he, he does it so 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 well um but yeah paul anything that you've consumed this week or anything you want to add to that well i was going to ask about the you know, do you, have you started listening to the analysis ones on that podcast at all? Uh, the behind where the memo someone, ones. Yeah, oh, somewhere uh, where one of the underlings comes in and... Behind uh, the memo? Yeah. No, not behind the no, memo. No, not behind, that. Behind the, the, the interviewing ones, right? Yeah, they, he has, he'll have like somebody from his company on to talk about distressed debt in the market at the moment or yeah, the opportunities no, that they not see. Yet. I have seen them in there on my Spotify, but I haven't actually got around to listening to one yet. Yeah, I've listened to one or two. I wasn't that impressed because I think when you listen to the Howard Marks podcast, you want to listen to Howard Marks and it, I do immediately turn off. Um, yeah, I, I, if you listen to the rest of the Howard Marks podcast, that was definitely secretly on my list so you took you took my favorite there um 
and uh, uh, the rest is all great. It, like you say, different every week, different different way of explaining the same thing. Stay in the market, be middling, and you'll have a target, and you'll be perfectly fine and get out of it. What I will say is the one thing I have just consumed in the past hour was mm. the Lex Friedman podcast with Mark Zuckerberg. Has any of you seen that yet? No. As a meta investor, I think you are, Steve W, still? No? Are you in? Out? Uh, I was. Oh, you're out. Okay. As a meta, well, if you were a meta investor, you need to see this podcast because Mark Zuckerberg and Lex Friedman have their interview inside the metaverse. Uh, they are thousands of miles oh, apart. God. And even if you watch the first five minutes of it, it is incredible how good uh, this technology is at the moment. I was very surprised at how accurate their facial expressions were. Uh, I mean, Lex Friedman's not brilliant at facial expressions anyway. But if you watch the first five minutes of it and just see what they're doing with that technology, Meta this week has had an absolute winner of a week showing off the uh, the Ray-Ban glasses and the uh, this uh, metaverse thing that's going on and uh, meta AI that's come out as well. Um, this the, the, People are starting to really see. Do you remember when we uh, when meta changed its name and everyone thought, oh, no one's ever going to call it meta, they're always going to call it Facebook. And now we are a year or two on and it is a completely different company and it's really going to show up in the AI wars uh, quite ridiculously. Um, this stock is going to be, I don't know, I'm just looking at it and going, wow, uh, they've really turned that business around. They're really looking at um, their their growth now. And also, I was looking forward to the earnings, which are coming in a couple of weeks. They are now a bellwether for the, the economy completely, the advertising revenue. If if Facebook and Google's advertising revenue is up, we know it's going to be a lovely earnings uh, season. Uh, I, I've been focused on Meta quite a bit recently, and uh, I don't know. There's so much going on with this company now. I don't want to invest in it, no, but the future of things like AI and these technologies are, are really starting to become real. Are you starting to become... I don't know, maybe more of if you already were one, a metaverse believer. I, the last I remember, um, you had the idea of, uh, you were of the view that VR headsets are pretty good for playing computer games on and not obviously an awful lot else. Um, are you more of a believer? Oh, in that I love, now? yeah. I still love the, the quest. I feel, I still mm -hmm. think that's brilliant. Um, what did I hear the other day? Someone, someone was saying they put on a quest and they were like, they referred it to, refer to it as electronic birth control because it's just not sexy whatsoever nobody putting on that that seems to be a, a growing theme or a going theme with plus 50 year olds in the meta quest and these vr goggles and things is they're just not attractive and no woman is ever going to have sex with you uh, while wearing one of these goggles um don't think they understand the younger generation. Most things I'm not wearing while I have sex with women. You're both you're both wearing headphones, aren't you? So uh, Yeah, but not during makes... No, it's not about <laughs> oh my god. But it, okay, we could no, we no could see if we could while I'm wearing the headphones. No, I mean unless you've got a thing for it, but Maybe in the metaverse, no, I'm just you could telling be having point the fact that no one is having sex with me. <laughs> no, I think it's I about mean, while, the, while, uh, while I'm wearing the uh, headphones. 
I think it's about the attractiveness. People, even at work, are going to worry about the attractiveness of wearing that at work when talking to somebody across the world. But I like the idea of putting those uh, MetaQuest goggles on in on a plane. I fly a lot at the minute. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just want to block out the 50 people that sat around me sweating on me and poking me oh, and stuff like that. God. So if I could, if I could put them goggles on and just disappear into a world of movies or something, I think that would be quite beneficial to my life right now. But um, I, I don't know. It's, just, it's something that I've seen recently. And with all the AI hype, I don't know if we're at peak AI hype at the minute. I've sold digital realty just because I think we're at the peak peak. AI hope. I read something the other day again that Nvidia. I think it was Aswath Demodaran said that Nvidia has to come up with something as big as AI and become the sole provider of the graphics cards towards AI to justify its current valuation. And I thought that was a big thing and a big sign sign that I think we're at peak AI. We're at the we're we're going to see some um, uh, value come off the top of this hype cycle soon uh so i don't think it's a good time to invest in things like ai but i don't know uh what do you what do you think at the moment of with all that information that i just pulled out of my head uh, i have two thoughts there for the moment then one is uh, electronic birth control is the title of my upcoming techno album if anyone's interested in buying a copy of that um the second one is that i said the same thing demoder and said this week there's a like motley fool thing that i wrote where i said that um so at the start of the week goldman sachs added uh, nvidia to what they call their conviction list uh, which is basically like the level above buy their top 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 stuff uh going up and they had some numbers that i didn't prepare for this but and don't have off hand for where they see revenue going roughly speaking 50 percent kager in uh it's the data center um arm of nvidia which houses their gpu stuff going forward to about i think it might have been uh 70 odd um billion taking total revenues to 90 and i thought even if you plug that in that doesn't really get you to the price target that or i don't see how it gets me to the price target um that they're talking about, which is 600 and something dollars a share. They're also talking in fairness about some supply constraints unwinding, so that'll uh, help boost volumes. They're talking about margin expansion as well. I'm, I'm kind of with you there, uh, Paul. From what I could see, it looks like they will need all of that and a bit more uh, for this to really um, get to the sort of price levels that they or be justifiable at the price levels they're thinking of. I guess there's a question about what happens after five years. I mean, if they have something more durable than that, then then I suppose maybe. But I, I struggled to get there as well, and I came down on the modern side on this. I'm excited. Um, this Today I've just written a personal statement and uh, a whole interview thing for a person using Google Bard. So I'm very excited to see what AI is going to bring to the, to the world. But I think... We, even me talking about it right now is showing that it's we're at peak hype. That's interesting. Every year I give a talk for some students and the uh, foundation I work for on how to write essays because they come from a bunch of different academic backgrounds. They pitch up at Oxford, are required to write essays, sometimes for the first time, sometimes with not that much kind of experience and and often with kind of varying different quality of incoming education. And this year was the first year that someone asked what's a university's policy on using chat gpt to write essays i mean presumably it's not you can just kind of um 
you write the whole thing using chat gpt but can you use it edit it use it for ideas so on so forth are they any good at knowing and the honest answer is i don't know i think in general the things i've seen the way i tend to think about chat gpt is that everyone seems to think that it's fine for areas that are not their area which is to say that experts tend to know that's not written by anyone who knows anything at all about the subject. And if you're not an expert, it looks pretty darn convincing. So uh, it writes things in, say, economics or something that our economics uh, tutor recognises instantly as complete rubbish, but but look kind of plausible from my perspective. If it tried to write a philosophy essay, I would see through it, but anyone else might think, ah, I don't know, maybe a student wrote that, looks kind of decent to me or something, which tells me that it's not quite there yet. I mean, the point of these things is that they learn and improve and so on. So this is only a snapshot of where we are right now and and no doubt uh eventually someone is going to kind of make me redundant on that which is why i'm releasing a techno album but um apart from that i uh yeah it's interesting seeing ai making its way into the kind of more mainstream areas at the moment even if i'm not worried for my job just yet there you go guys you heard it here first any students uh working with steve right now just use chat pt uh, chat gpt he won't even notice I won't if I'm. Yeah, if I don't notice, I'm teaching you the wrong subject. Uh, is basically what you should <laughs> uh, think about here. Before we move on, a quick one from Steve and me. If you're enjoying the show, please do give us a like, a comment, and a rating on whatever platform you're listening on, and make sure you share the podcast with your investing friends. It helps us a lot, and we're really looking forward to building out something that you guys can get some value from and that we can have some fun in making. So do like, subscribe, and back on with the show. The sucker's going up. But, um, Paul, you said earlier you've got an emergency fund or you're busy building out the emergency fund. That makes you like one of three people in the world that's actually saving anything at the moment, I think. Is that right? Uh, sort of. My savings rate has gone down quite a bit uh, recently because I haven't seen my family in quite a long time and I'm basically paying for them to come out here. So oh. there, there is that. But yeah, um, the problem with the world right now is I don't think the world is saving as fast as they were in, say, 2019. Uh, 2018. I think that's a big problem. I think it's a big problem for inflation. It means people are going are now going to be spending and bringing out more of their savings are going to going to go towards uh, essentials, as it were. And um, I think that's a big sign for the Druckermiller recession, uh, the one that he predicted probably a year and a half ago that was going to happen in the second half of this year or the early uh, next year. Yeah, when you consider that all the early next year, it stops being Steve D1, Stan Druckenmiller, zero. Better luck next time, Stan. Uh, Steve, of course, predicted mm. at the start of this year that there would not be a recession this year. Obviously, he didn't predict there would never be a recession again anywhere, ever, like in the US. <laughs> I'm not um, Gordon Brown. No. Um, no <laughs> end to, an end to boom and bust in the US was what you said, I think, right? Because they will have light touch regulation and, and just tank their entire economy anyway. Um, but this is it feels like then the race is on uh in this case if what you're seeing is u.s consumer savings going down it's because people are spending but they're not spending stuff they're earning they're spending stuff they previously had saved stashed during the pandemic or whatever and the people who had been arguing for a soft landing full stop uh as in uh no recession either this year or next or anything to do with the kind of pandemic stuff 
recession, no doubt, at some point further in the future, had kind of three things going in support of their view. One is that US consumer spending is going to stay solid. Another is that jobs are going to stay fairly well elevated. And the third is that GDP is going to remain fairly strong. And we're starting to see some pressure on the first of those, I guess. US consumer spending is still reasonably elevated, but credit card debt is going up and savings rates or excess mm. savings are getting depleted. Um, you reckon there's a recession coming then, uh, Paul? I mean, it also feels like one of the best indicators, and I've heard quite a few people saying this now, which is weirdly paradoxical. Um, one of the best indicators a recession is coming is that everyone's saying there's not a recession coming. Weirdly, everyone's mm, saying yeah. there's a recession coming because everyone's saying there's no recession coming is sort of self-contradictory in a weird way. But you get the idea of what I'm aiming at here. I think we're hearing right now from most people, if you read any of the articles, is that we've had the soft landing, right? The soft landing is what we're going through now. Uh, we, you know, Jerome Powell achieved it and we're perfectly fine. But, and I, I reckon you'll probably see him in the next couple of months, probably congratulating himself and saying that, yeah, we did it. We, we saved it. And that's the point when the recession will kick in, right? Because that's like over now. And, uh, oh yeah, that recession's got nothing to do with what we've done over the past three years. Uh, this is a lagging effect. This is uh, this is a lagging effect. There's no doubt to it. We have a lot of injection of money in 2019 and 2020. Uh, it, we're just seeing it come off, and it's just taking longer and longer. This is I I fully believe in this, the the Druckenmiller thesis. I think he's early. It's affect people uh, are all brought from pre pre 2008 understanding which is before mortgages were fixed for 30 years in America or 25 years, but they were fixed for the lifetime of the mortgage. That's the biggest expense coming out on the vast majority of, of American customers, but they do not experience that rise in interest rates because their mortgages are fixed. So what happens when you raise an interest rate to 5 or 6% is it actually stimulates the economy. So Americans who had excess savings at the time start to get uh, interest on those savings. So people become wealthier not poorer when interest rates go up the idea that you would you would get poorer the reason gdp continues to grow in america is because the american consumer has got richer not poorer in general um so that remains the same for me uh, i would hate to say drucken miller hasn't seen this or is wrong but i think genuinely that's the reason why drucken miller is wrong, and I wonder if he knew if he knew this, or if he saw it, or if he had missed it, or if he had ignored it. If he sees it now, and if he still feels the same way, um, because and it's the same thing. It's it's like five percent interest rates is what which what we're at right now is considered normal. Yes, it's uh, considered. Uh, if you go back to the nineties, five percent's what what we were looking at. And do you think that big tech right now is worried about 5% interest rate? Do you think Google, with all of its cash on hand, is worried about 5% interest rates? Do you think Apple is worried about 5% 5 inch, 5 interest rates? No. And they seem to be the drivers of the S&P 500, as we all know. Uh, I, I don't see it. May, we're worried about REITs at the moment having such ridiculous interest rates. But again, they're not ridiculous. They're 5%. The models are built in to cope with 5%. Fair enough, they've been loving 2%, which has raised their, um, raised their cash flows quite a bit over the past few years, but this is what they're prepared for. And I, I fully agree with you that there is the, that possibility, uh, well, not possibility, there is that 
likelihood that these the companies are going to be able to cope with this level of interest rate. The problem, though, is this raising credit card debt. Why is the credit card debt going up at the same time as the interest rates going up? Well, that's that's obvious, though, isn't it? Because the interest rate and the credit cards are not fixed. So that is going up exponentially because interest rates are going up exponentially. Credit card debt usually starts at 19% when you're at 1%, but when you go to 5, it doesn't go to 24, it goes to 39. So any debt on a credit card... Why are more people taking out credit card debt? Sorry. Uh, well, that's not that's not what's happening, is it? It's the debt on the credit card is increasing by the uh, the 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 APR um, because the APR on those rates is is increasing. So essentially, there's been twenty percentage points added to the the cost of debt on a credit card. So that's why the amount is going up, uh, not not that that people are necessarily taking out any more debt than they were. But I, I saw a really interesting stat the other day. Yeah, that makes that, sense. Um, US. Um, so really, uh, just just quickly, uh, in a really important stat. Sorry. So forty years ago, total global GDP was about a trillion. Uh, so sixty years on from that. Uh, we're now a hundred times. Sorry, forty years on from that, we're now a hundred times bigger. We're about a hundred trillion. So, um, in the next sort of forty years, if that continues, you reckon we'll be in sort of quadrillion kind of uh, kind of growth. So that that to me seems seems pretty unreasonable. But looking at U.S. debt, I know everybody says U.S. debt is a massive problem. So in nineteen sixty, total U.S. debt is uh, what four hundred billion. And total GDP, 1.3 trillion. So it's about 30.8%. So not an awful lot of difference between uh, between then and now if you're looking at those two GDP figures. So uh, U.S. debt as a, as a percentage of global, because remember, U.S. companies are global companies. They, they operate around the world, and gross domestic product is domestic product so it's us only so it doesn't factor in you know a us company that has factories in germany or factors in so it's a, it's a bad thing to look at in terms of when you're looking at debt of a, a us companies to compare it to us gdp because uh, it's a it's a nonsense metric but yeah 30.8 percent if you're taking in global uh us's position on the global market rather than on a domestic product so uh just a really interesting stat that i saw that actually this us debt probably isn't any bigger than it has been over the last well it's bigger but it's not bigger relatively than it has been in any time over the last 60 years i didn't know if, it, if you guys had anything interesting that does that surprise you as a statistic i think i'm not sure it does surprise me as a, a statistic i think that's i wouldn't necessarily have guessed at that particularly but i think i'm not massively surprised to hear you saying is it contango or backwardification Oh no! <laughs> um, um, oh, gonna have to describe this joke now. <laughs> no, leave it. No, that would do. Uh, vote down below. Is this backwardation or is it contango? Well, anyway. I, I'm actually interested in uh, the way we think now because, I, I, as I believe it, when we when we were in the 1920s and things like that, and even the 1960s, a lot of people thought this is the peak of technology. You know, we the that. Technology wouldn't go any further, and we wouldn't ever see money in the trillions or quadrillions. But now we've seen it happen, and we've seen this growth. We make the assumptions that we're going to continue with this exponential growth. I use the quote that uh, what you just said earlier, uh, saying, "Well, if we if it continues, it's going to be in its quadrillions." I'm just wondering, are we taking that for granted now? I don't know. I think people uh, there's a, there's a lot of books on this where the human races are like just awful at predicting the future. They always think, well, well, this is peak technology, and it's it. You know, it, you've got to think that just in the last twenty years, the things that have, that have come out have been uh, have been fairly incredible. Even things like 
uh, Bitcoin is is a, is a relatively uh, new invention. Not that it does anything, but it, it is a relatively new invention. But you got to think. That's a really bad example. Recapture, Square, <laughs> uh, portable thermostats. Yeah. I'm just looking down the list now. CRISPR, the Oculus Rift, mm. uh, uh, the NG, uh, NGI and X web servers. Uh, Duolingo in the last 20 years, a, a portable dialysis machine. The all surgical these things, robot things? Yeah. yeah, all in the last 20 years. Even Chegg, um, the online um, library, w- was not a thing 20 years ago. The Ring video doorbell. There's, all, there's always been something new, some new technology mm. for us to buy, things yeah. that we think, well, it, you're never going to improve a doorbell because that just needs to be something that rings. And then you know the Ring doorbell comes out and everyone goes, well, we'll have to have one of them. This happens everywhere. There's always like a, a, a new technology to buy. Um, so there's a, there's a book. I'll, I'll remember, if I remember the book, I'll pop it in the description. But it's about um, how bad we are. I think it's by Hans Rosling. But how bad we are at predicting the future. But I'll I'll pop that in the, the description for people. So uh, if they if they're interested in something like that, interesting stuff. Spanx is on the list, Steve. Spanx is a Spanx are within twenty years. <laughs> yeah, within the last twenty no years. No way. Yeah, that's gonna be out in the fifties, surely. Well, it must have yeah. been flares before Spanx, was it? <laughs> it's men's spanks. Men's spanks are coming now. I saw an advert for them on my Facebook the other no, day. No, they're not. It shows how old I'm getting. Yeah, you're on Facebook. It shows anyway. But uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, another news this week. Nationwide on Monday uh, announced that house prices were five percent lower uh, as a result of the recent data than they were this time a year ago, and that's true on average across the country. Every region was down house price wise not evenly and not by the same amount but it's the first time this has happened since 2009 meaning that house prices are declining at their fastest rate since then good news for me Stephen Paul who predicted at the start of the year that house prices would be down around eight or so percent by the end so I think we're probably broadly on track here with a quarter or so to go but we'll see how that prediction shapes out and the names Steve. we got called in the comments section for that. I don't know if you guys saw that. There were people no. who were saying, you guys are just so stupid. You don't get it. You, you're like the, you know what I mean? You guys are just don't, don't, you can't see plain sense from people we've never seen before. Um, it's basically true, but we were right about that one. Called us a bunch of ignorant neckbeards, which I don't think is something that we can actually uh, <laughs> disagree with. No, it's also true. But again, yeah. we were probably right on this house price thing. Yeah, once. I'm happy. I mean, I, 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 to be clear, um, I, it's been a little while since we had Paul here, but Steve and I have been fairly straightforward and fairly upfront about the many things that we've been wrong about over the last. Um, I mean, obviously, there isn't enough time in a show to fit every week in on everything that we got wrong, but we do tend to um, put at least some of our mistakes pretty much in plain sight and say, here's another thing I got wrong and here's why it happened and uh, here's why it's interesting and so on. So. Um, yeah, people shouldn't be so mean, but we might have been right on this one. Never know, but we'll see. Um, Steve, yeah, Steve. Uh, just before mm. we move on, would you mm. like to tell everybody uh, who's listening to the podcast what you sold Next Era for? Every time you ask me a question like this, I don't have the answer to hand. Yeah, I've all right. got it if Let you me... want. I believe, oh, it was, I believe it was $90.82. Was it? That's good. I was going to say 94 or 95 or something. Next Era has had a horrible week. Um yeah, I sold my next era shares you... a while ago now in the 90-odd region. Steve, where's it now? Does it begin with a six? No, it begins with a four. Oh, wow. It's about $48. Did you know that, Paul? Uh, I knew it. It'd come off the top a lot because I own Brookfield, so uh, that's yeah. been following it down. Stunning sale from Steve. I got, yeah. 80, I got 82 yeah. and I was bragging to Steve and he just dropped it in the chat and walked off. To be fair, you, you did sell about <laughs> twice as much as I did because you that's owned twice true. as much as I did, which means that... 
you probably did slightly better in terms of saving yourself some money. Oh, anyway, there's one that we were right about. Well done, neckbeards. Anyway. What, um, makes, what makes you want to get back in? Would, what would make you want to get back in? Oh. No, but not what, what would? No, uh, nothing. price in this one. No. Um, All right. No, uh, they're, they're a completely different company to the company that we had. They're a company focused on growth and expanding to new counties and expanding to uh, new states. And now um, John Ketchum, Ash's dad, has taken over. And he, um, nice. he he's, um, <laughs> he's basically into selling assets and uh, improving the bottom line, uh, whereas we were looking for not rapid top-line growth, but allowed top-line growth, because I suppose is what you call it when it's a utility. But they're doing the complete opposite now. They're, they're, they're getting rid of assets. And they're saying things like, it'll be accretive to the business. And what they mean by that is that they mean the earnings will go up because this is a cost a costlier side of the business. And I'm, I'm not yeah. overly interested in that. I think they're pivoting from being a different kind of utility to being a, a, the, the same utility as everybody else. Somebody who's big on EPS, pays a big dividend, but really in, in terms of revenue and growth goes absolutely nowhere. And that's not what I was into with Next Era. Yeah, that's Very pretty much accurate, point. I think. Um, they, as a result of being kind of quite nicely timed, I don't want to say early into the wind and solar stuff, because the people who are really early into wind and solar all went broke, but they were kind of early of the people that are still alive in that game. And wind and solar mainly depends on having decent sites available to generate wind and solar from places where the wind blows a lot places where the sun shines a lot that tends to be in the middle of the country in the u.s and if you can get there first there are some real advantages that will prove durable and next year got there first of the of the ones we're talking about here and i think that will help them over time so there's there's something there to be had for them which means that i'd probably pay slightly more for them than i would for another utility but right now, I'm not massively interested in buying uh, pretty much any utility just for now. Steve asked me what would uh, what number next era got interesting to me at, and then a couple of days later, the thing fell by about 15% when I said, mm. yeah, maybe, hit. oh no, maybe not. This is actually one of the things, just to give credit to Sven, although I think he inadvertently got this one right, because he said mm. that... It yeah, was, he was right about this. Yeah, fueled by debt, um, and you know, if interest rates ever change, I seem to remember this is what he said. If interest rates ever change, it'll be a different story, and that's essentially what's happened. They've they've lost a CEO. Interest rates have changed, and that story is completely different for Next Era now. And and all the all they used to do just for people who don't know is they have a, a limited partnership called Next Era Partners. They basically used to build things using Next Era's debt and then sell the asset and some of that debt to Next Era Partners. And Next Era Partners would essentially manage that asset uh, on behalf of Next Era to, to a degree. The problem with that now is when you start shipping off uh, uh, debt to uh, companies, that debt rises. Next year is debt costs rise and can exponentially rise in the future. And next era and next era partners have a lot of debt. So that's gone from uh, it's a zero interest rate story is what I might say about uh, next era energy and, and uh, whether it can get back to anything uh, like is uh, uh, it's a very different question to the question we were posing to each other a year ago, I guess is what we're saying. Yeah, and and the thing with wind and solar right now is it's hitting an inflection point where governments no longer want to subsidise it, but it still needs subsidising to make it profitable, and that is becoming a real problem in that world at the moment. Similar to the whole uh, electric vehicle subsidies kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, especially in this country as well. I think. Um, also, well, yeah, actually, yeah, the North North Sea uh, got zero bidders, didn't it? Actually, mm-hmm. now thinking about it, the North Sea. Uh, 
thing got no, zero bidders and that was basically because they cut subsidies and no one feels like they can get it. it feels like a it feels like a joint protest more than anything i think that they the kind of the wind farm owners uh, are showing their hand and probably calling a bluff on the government there and the government is probably going to fold because they need that space to be sold uh but it's is throwing up an in- interesting dynamic on cost of wind and solar and utilities at the moment and uh yeah next re- next era is suffering yeah so the reason i brought up the housing thing wasn't just so we could gloat by the way although we seem to have spent like more time doing that than we spent on any other topic uh, all evening um it was because i was gonna say house prices are coming down so it feels like a decent time to be buying some um unfortunately none of the three of us have enough cash lying around to go buying a house outright at the moment even in steve's part of the world um and debt's expensive which is the reason that prices are, are coming off um in this kind of situation normally we would talk about REITs and so on but there aren't that many that are interested in housing or are there Here's one I found, and Paul is back, so I wonder whether he might like it. It's called PRS, or the PR, uh, PRS REIT. PRS stands for Private Rental Sector. They own just over 5,000 UK houses. They buy them off developers, and they rent them out to people. It's a fairly straightforward business model. If you've ever wanted to be a buy-to-let landlord but thought, gosh, I need a lot of cash and a lot of time and a lot of fiddling around and messing about with stuff, this might be a kind of interesting way of going about it for you. Since it's a REIT, we need to talk about dividends. Um, it's about 6% year at the moment, which is yeah, non-trivial, um, I guess. It, the stock is down 25% year to date because the value of its assets have been falling. It has about a 97% occupancy rate, which is still reasonably high, especially bearing in mind some of their stuff is still just being built. And they collect about 99% of their rent that's due. Uh, there's good reason to think that might continue as well. So on average, uh, their rent accounts for about 25% of household income. So household incomes have got some way to come off before people stop paying their rent or find themselves not in a position to pay their rent. There is some sort of office for not ripping people off via rent or office for affordable rent or something like that, which says you need to try and keep that number below 35 if you can. So they're well within that kind of range. Um, risks with this kind of sector include things like the government trying to interfere on housing rental standards, and they are doing this. Um, they've decided to raise the minimum standard for a new lease in energy efficiency terms to a C or above from 2025. Everything the PRS owns is uh, that standard already or higher, so there shouldn't be any particular issues there. It might creep higher in the future, and then there will be a slightly different story, but most of their stuff is B or better at the moment. So higher rates are making borrowing more expensive. Um, it feels as though we talk about the UK housing a lot at the moment, Steve, whether it's Forterra or passive houses or Taylor Wimpy and building them. Um, do you think this could be an interesting part of the UK housing story picture? I mean, it turns out, Steve, they've bought most of your street or something like that when we had a look at them. I was going to say around um, 45% of their properties are based in Manchester, about 23% more in the Midlands and there's some in Yorkshire uh, and some elsewhere in the country, but that's mostly where they're kind of scattered at the moment. So anyone wanting to be a buy-to-let investor, uh, worth a try here? Uh, maybe. Um, it does 
it does look a fairly um, interesting outfit. I, I do quite like the way that they've like subsectioned all the UK off, but they've just got Scotland down as Scotland. Yeah, uh, that was that seemed quite lazy because that could be any part of Scotland. They've sort of pointed to the middle of it and gone Scotland. Um, does it matter? Yeah, like an like an American looking at a map. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it does look pretty interesting. So, Steve, I'm looking down this debt pile though, which is the first place I always mm. I always hover to. Uh, and they've basically got 250 million of debt at a very good rate. And then they've got, what's this, 50 million, 150, 190 million of it at a very bad rate. So they've got uh, 40 million development debt, um, 7.3% um, at the moment. That's Sonya plus margin. So what are we at the moment with the uh, overnight interest? Are we at five, five and a half in the US, in the UK? Uh, somewhere around there, I think. So yeah, backwards have banged one point eight percent on top of that as margin. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Lloyd's and RBS have only banged about point one of a percent, if the rate is what I think it is. So yeah, interesting. They're they're, they're high rates though, Steve, and uh, they are, they are floating rate as well. So um, they they they, <laughs> they could get better or worse, I I, I guess. Um, but gearing wise, thirty one percent not not that high. Uh, it actually looks um, like they've got maybe room to expand this uh, a little bit more if we were building houses. Um, mostly residential, some student accommodation, purpose built, some single family homes. Um, it looks quite nice. It's very very small though. I mean, we're looking at. Uh, revenue in here of, of what just over 20 is it 20 million ago it's it's not an awful lot 20 24.2 million in revenue 19.9 million but only 20 million of that is rental income so uh growing pretty fast from half one to half two 22 percent growth i assume there's been a rental increase plus some uh some uh more buying of properties in there as well. Yeah, increased number of completed and uh, let assets in rental growth. So yeah, so twenty two percent growth. Wouldn't expect it to grow that fast uh, next year, but um, it's yeah, it's definitely an interesting take on the market. Yeah, interesting. Uh, debt's always a good place to look with REITs. The way I think of REITs, I think of them as basically spread businesses, right? Which is you're going to acquire capital at this cost, and you're going to. Uh, stick it into an asset and you're going to rent it out at this rate and hopefully the second number is bigger than the um, first number and it'll be interesting because with this they're, so they're trying to keep themselves below 25% of household incomes a couple of things that might make that more challenging are a recession weighing on household incomes and uh, interest rates going up putting pressure from the other side so you might find things squeeze in uh, a little bit there which is which is a genuine challenge uh, for these guys. So it's not like being a buy-to-let investor in the sense of uh, if you went out and kind of cash bought your house and then just as it were raking income at whatever rate it is you managed to rent the thing out at, you have considerations on the other side. It's more like being, I guess, a buy-to-let investor with, well, with a, certainly with a mortgage, possibly with an interest-only mortgage, depending on exactly how you think about their debt and what their plans towards their debt are in future. Um, but yeah. There's a real mark. You can see the markdown in asset values in here. Actually, when you mm. look at this uh, this sheet, so there's, yep. there's yep. nearly five million added to the revenue. Like I said earlier, of which three point two million of that is actual net rent, uh, rental increase. So what's that twenty percent? Uh, but net assets is only at one percent. So if you think they've bought all of these new buildings to increase their um, rent by what three point two million a year, but the net asset value has only gone up four million from six three nine to six four three. 
there's been a big markdown in in what they consider the value of their assets there, uh, mildly hidden by the amount of buildings that they've 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 bought. So, yeah, interesting, Steve. Um, I I do wonder. I do wonder what exactly they've marked down by. I wonder if it's in this uh, in this presentation a bit later. And I, I, I was going to bring this back to our housing pro- housing problem. We all said that, yeah, we thought that housing would come off the top a little bit, but we don't. I think in general, all three of us. I mean, I'm probably speaking out of turn here, but I don't think we think house prices and property prices are going to stay this low forever. They're going to have the dip like they did in 2008, but eventually when things get sorted, we have the recession, we get home out the other side, you expect house prices to inflate again. You would have thought. Yeah, so in this kind of housing market, as you were mentioning with the savings thing, all of this is basically the result of kind of noise about what supply and demand looks like in any particular market higher interest rates weigh on demand more stimulus boosts um demand inflation makes supply harder so on so forth and the, the idea is kind of where all this stuff sort of normalizes one way or another and what kind of i guess real or stable or normalized or um uh, something like that supply and demand really looks like and what that means for for prices i guess and i think yeah steve um based on what he said over the last few weeks i think probably is optimistic for house prices in the longer uh, term. I certainly am as well. I think that's what it is right now. Uh, this could be a lovely buying opportunity. I like this. I love, love the sound of this. This is something that really I, I quite like. It feels like getting into the rental property market without actually doing any of the work. It, I didn't realize many of those REITs existed here in the UK. Not many and, do, no. Yeah, well, this is this is it. I, this is brilliant. Um, your your story here is very simple, isn't it? Uh, interest rates, uh, raised debt makes it less easier, less easy to grow, reduces the property prices. This could all be temporary if it doesn't go bust. And on the other side, in during a recession, renters tend to win. And I I'm, I know that's going to sound controversial, but in the sense that rental prices will go up and because of the cuts in interest rates during, we assume we're going to get interest rate cuts during a recession, it makes it easier for renters to start to buy again. And then currently with the interest rates so high, people are more likely to stay in their rentals, which is being shown in the reduction in house prices. People are not buying the house the houses at the moment this is classic supply and demand like what you say so what you're betting on here is the story going your way if you think they they have enough cash on hand if you think the debt profile like you say uh, there's a couple of hundred million coming up at a high rate in a couple of years if you believe they can weather this then they're going to come out quite rosy on the other side the question is are they and do these are there not many of these uh, REITs in the UK because there's a storyline behind that I'd like to find that out I'd like to find out if these don't exist very much in the in the UK because they constantly go bankrupt and are casually mismanaged I, I don't know yet so I the nearest thing I've ever owned to this I don't own this stock yet by the way um, and I'm not saying I will in the future but it's not part of my portfolio I did own something like the first ever sort of proper investment i made was in a reach turned out to be a bleeding disaster it owned a load of um 
uh, flats, basically, or blocks of um, flats and, and rented them out and so on. And it got into all kinds of cladding-related issues. I made, I made kind of every mistake that a kind of ordinary first-time investor makes, which is thinking, this thing will go up in a straight line, and I'm not collecting very much in dividends here, and this is boring, and I'm selling it. And I think I sold it at a slight loss. Damn thing went bankrupt uh, eventually, mostly because of the aforementioned cladding-related problems, which uh, I don't think anyone realistically had any shots to see coming. I'm not quite sure why there are more of these kicking around. When I think of UK REITs, I think of I think of sort of being about kind of 15, 16 and thinking everyone seems to just be buying houses and renting them out all over the place and, and making a decent living. And the damn things just seem to go up in value the whole time. Why don't I go and do that? Or why doesn't someone go and do that? Answer, because you need a load of cash to do it. But if you ever had that kind of thought or that urge, um, I wonder whether this might be a tempting one. And a 6% dividend, I also feel like I'm maybe not aiming for that much to go right um here i'm mostly aiming for the debt to not be a problem uh in the long term and if it is then we're going to have an issue with that dividend but um i or, or realistically we're going to end up asking for an equity raise i think is more likely to be the case because we're going to end up paying that debt off by selling shares and we're going to end up by selling printing shares at a time when they're low um so that will be that's the likely sort of danger i see here but i'm wondering whether with house prices falling this is getting to the point where you might well be priced for the risk on this one well, this this gearing. Sorry, I'm just reading more into it. It is 31 mm. percent of gross asset value, and just looking through the rules for the REIT, they'll say their maximum gearing is 45 percent of gross asset value. So you're looking for either a reduction in gross asset value, or then prepared to take on a little bit more gearing here. And I would say, even if you got somewhere in the middle, this is looking like a company that's looking to uh, buy a lot more properties. Um, I was going to say it's quite a big. Um, reduction in asset values to get you to 45 from 30 yeah. isn't it so that's what I'm saying if you end up with half and half they attempt them, mm. them, them gearing up and house prices and their asset values coming down there's still some expansion here for for the, for the company to uh, you know to just to flex its muscles a little bit so um, potentially an interesting one uh, going forward you, you would think as gross asset values fall um, they're going to get a better price on the houses and a, and a better rental yield, and you know that that nets out better for you in the in the long run if you're a believer that house prices eventually start growing at two to four percent a year again. Yeah, I think they will get a decent sort of price on on these. They buy them from developers like Barrett, like Vistry, and I think those guys, especially at the moment, quite like having someone who will put in a nice big bulk order for some houses if you go and build them. It's not easy to. Uh, buy for most people at the moment there's a lot of complicated stuff around mortgage rates which seem to be leveling off a little bit and i was reading that net inquiries were not net inquiries just inquiries at um, estate agents were up a little bit over the last few months but if you could find a nice big institutional customer who says yeah i'll, I'll buy a bunch of these houses that you're uh, finishing all. building it's that, i can see why that would be attractive to a builder you get a little discount on top Something well, you like will that. do if you're buying five, which is like mm, what this, this yeah, exactly. person's going to do. Yeah. Yeah, you've got uh, a lot of buying power with that. I suppose there's an argument of buying and selling into the same market. If you're, mm-hmm. I know we're not strictly selling so much, um, but the reason why the house prices are going down or the property prices are going down is because of the higher interest rates and nobody wants to buy. And you are kind of just, you kind of, does it feel like you're just moving money around for the sake of moving money around? Not yet. I feel that way about realty income. 
um, who attempt mm. to service some yeah. of their debt by selling their properties. And what they will tell you they're doing is uh, cutting away the worst part of their portfolio to add more to the kind of best end of it. And they're probably true, by the way. But you're right mm-hmm. in thinking in that situation, wherever the market is, they're either winning on the buying end or winning on the selling end, and probably not both. It's hard to see how it would be both. I mean, in this case, um, one of the things that, to my mind, makes REITs in general quite interesting at the moment, whether that's industrial ones or house ones or whatever else, is that actually rental demand appears to be pretty strong. Asset values are collapsing, but in general, REITs, and this one in particular, don't really want to sell there properties what they want to do is try and rent them out and where you'll get a problem is if we start finding rental demand falls away but so far i'm not seeing any Mm -hmm. obvious sign of that and that makes me think yeah buying and and then attempting to lease out in the same market isn't the same thing as trying to buy and sell into the same market which some of the bigger REITs do a recession may change that quite heavily yeah it might do um i guess we'll see on that if you if you're interested in what a recession might or might not do, I've got a stock next week that uh, is much more of a recession friendly play. We've comfortably weighed our way through the hour marks. So maybe I'll save that one for next time, um, mm-hmm. and we'll come back to it in a week or so because there's nothing particularly this week significant about my other uh, stock for Paul. Uh, we'll see if Steve can think of one next week. We'll see if Paul's even here next week. But for now, uh, thanks for watching and listening to this week's Playing Footsie show. We've been Steve, Paul and Steve. Bye for now.